participation. We all love audience participation, don't we? I mean, gets the blood flowing, gets us thinking. So um, you might have noticed uh, worship team came out a little bit late this morning, and uh, that was my fault. I take ownership of that because I asked them the question that I'm about to ask you. And uh, I'm going to ask you here in just a moment to raise your hand when I say your, or if I'm going to mention a subject from school, and if it's your favorite, I want you to raise your hand. Now, I need to preface this with the fact that I know that there are educators or previous educators in the room, and you may raise your hand for a subject that you do not teach, and if that is the case, uh, I'm not judging because, you know, over time, maybe your subject, your favorite subject changed. It happens. Um, so, I'm going to start with English. Whose favorite subject is English? Okay. All right. A few of you. A few of you. Okay. What about history? Raise your hand if history was your favorite subject. Okay. I have a few there. What about science? Science? Kind of, we've got some for science. Good, good. Uh, what if your favorite class isn't one of those core classes? What if it's uh, athletics? Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I loved athletics. What about band? What about music in general? Is there some music? Okay. Yeah, I have some music. Um, shop, I guess, was a class. At, what about Ags? Yeah. Um, you know, home ec. Any? And then I'm going to save the worst one for last. Um, what about math? Really? Okay, here. Uh, I'm going to... I see what you're doing, and it's admirable. I get it. You, you don't want to feel like, you know, math is going to get left out. Nobody's going to raise their hand. Um, I'll, I'll raise my hand for math. Uh, I see it, and, you know, you don't have to. Do, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you love math, that's great. That's wonderful. I could not stand math. Um, I, I never liked math. As a matter of fact, I was at NSU in Tahlequah for a semester, and uh, before I decided to go to Bible college, uh, I found out that the school I was going to didn't have math classes. And as soon as I found that out, I went and dropped my math class at NSU. I was like, I don't need this anymore. Um, no, uh, I'm going to tell you what my favorite class was. And this is uh, elementary, middle, high, you know, uh, college. My favorite class and all the classes... Uh, that I ever took, my favorite subject was Christian service. And you might be wondering, what in the world, like what school teaches Christian service? Well, technically it wasn't actually a class, like we didn't have a professor who would come and be like, okay, we're going to teach you Christian service. It was a pass-fail type of thing, you know, one of those classes that if you do it, you pass, if you don't, you fail. It was a pass-and-fail class. But what we would have to do is every semester, we would have to fill out a report letting the school know, here's all the ways that we serve this semester. And you had to have so many hours of service. And, uh, you know, they were nice enough to say, hey, if you're, if you're ministering at a church somewhere, you can count that on your list. And so I would put that on there. 
uh, you know, I was preaching at a church in Adair the last two years of school, and so I would uh, go and preach on the weekends, and, you know, that was one of the things that count. One of the things that Kay and I would do during the week is we would go to one of the local churches in Joplin, and we would serve with the kids program there, and so we could count that. And I thought this class, to me, was just a slam dunk. Like, I love to serve. I'm trying to do everything I can throughout the week to serve at different places. I would go and help at a local shelter that was there. I would go in with some friends, and we would rake leaves and mow lawns and stuff throughout the week. It was a, it was a slam dunk. But as I think back on it, I think it was my favorite class because I've always had a passion to serve. You know, that's just something that when I first became a believer, I I just felt, man, I I just want to get involved. I want to jump in and I want to serve in any way that I can. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said, one of the greatest rewards that we ever receive for serving God is the permission to do still more for him. John Wesley puts it like this. One of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him and our neighbor which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. You see, I think we are called, we are told to serve. It's something that is laid throughout Scripture, this call for us to come and and be servants. And as we finish up this week, a series that we've been going through on gratitude and you know, this lost art of being grateful and thankful for what God has done for us, I have found one of the best ways that connects me to God and one of the best ways that I find to give him thanks and praise and glory is by serving him. I don't know about you, but those moments where I'm serving God, where I'm uh, finding ways to serve him and in proxy to that, serving other people, I have found that, man, I have so many things to be thankful for and that God would allow me to serve in his kingdom and to serve others just gives me another reason to be grateful and thankful. And so this morning, we're going to wrap up this series by talking about why is it that we should serve? Why is it that we should serve God? Why we should serve others? And so I've got uh, four things that I think scripture kind of points out as reasons why we should serve, and then a reminder at the end of why we serve. And I think the first reason that we serve is because Scripture tells us to serve. Scripture tells us to serve. You read through the New Testament, you see, especially in the Gospels, you see Jesus laying down this command, this call for us to be servants. And Scripture really lays that out, that we are to be servants. And the thing is, this is really countercultural to us today, isn't it? Because Scripture tells us to be servants, to serve others, and yet the world tells us to do what? Serve ourself. Look out for number one. If it's not benefiting you, then don't do it. Everything should be about you. We live in a world that the enemy tries to tell us to be self-serving, right? We need to serve ourselves. We need to look out for ourselves, You know, I used to work in retail, and it's crazy the amount of stories I can tell you just watching people throw other people under the bus to get ahead. Man, I'll do whatever it takes to get ahead. I've got to look out for myself. And yet, Scripture tells us to do the opposite. No, instead, if we are following Him, if we are living for Him, we are called to be servants. When we give Christ His rightful place as Lord in our lives, 
one of the ways that his lordship is expressed in our lives is by the way we serve others, the way we love others. Jesus makes it clear that we are to be servants. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Mark 9.35 says, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, if we're living for him, if we have put Christ at the center of our life, really, technically, it should pour from us that we want to serve him. Part of our faith should be shown in the things that we do for him, for other people. Our faith, in our faith, should compel us to do good works. And I think that's what James is getting at in James chapter 1. And sometimes people take this text and they debate what it means and they ask, well, is James saying that if you don't have works, then, you know, you're not really saved? Is that what it's about? No. You know, they kind of look at it against Paul saying that we're saved by faith alone. And then we look at James and people get confused. What is he, what is he saying? Well, let's read what he says in James chapter 1, 14 through 26. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see, I think what James is saying here and what he's getting at here is that you show me your faith by your works. You show me your faith by the things that you do. Along with your faith, it should produce in you good works. It should produce in you a desire to serve him, to serve others. And if you have faith, it should bleed out of you in your desire to serve him and to serve others. If we are lacking a desire to serve, if we lack a desire to uh, to go and to serve others, to serve him, we need to check our heart because something is missing because through our faith, by our faith, it should produce in us actions. One of the things we talked about this past Monday night in men's Bible study, Nate uh, shared with us is this, you know, scripture tells us to abide in him, right? To abide in him. If we're abiding in him, if we're living in him, if we are staying connected to him, it should produce in us this desire to serve others. And so scripture tells us really that we are to be servants. And I think another thing that we need to know about service is that God has given us gifts to serve and build up the body. 
He has given us gifts through his grace to be used to serve and to build up the body, to edify the body. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, he talks about the body. And we're all different members of the body, and yet we have different tasks, we have different uh, gifts to use to serve the body. He says this in Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so, just as our body has many different body parts that have different functions, so is the church, right? Like our, our fingers are different than our ears. Now, if you tell me this morning, I can hear with my hands, you know, we probably ought to talk a little bit. I, I want to see how that works. But each part has a different function, and it's the same thing in the church, each one of us, and Paul would go on to later talk about this in even more depth in 1 Corinthians, talking about the different gifts that we have been given by his grace to serve the church, but each of us have different gifts, different abilities that he has called us to use to serve in his kingdom, to build up and serve in the kingdom. And I think sometimes this is a little bit difficult because I don't know about you, I'll be honest, there have been times that I read this and I struggle with it because sometimes I want the gift that somebody else has, right? Like I, I see this person has the ability to do this or this person has this ability to do this and I think to myself, I wish I had this gift instead and it's taken a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of encouragement and encouragement from people in this room to remind me that God has given me the gift that I have to use to serve in his kingdom. God has given you the gift that you have to, to serve in the kingdom. God has given you a certain gift to work in his kingdom, to build one another up. And you have a gift and a purpose and a function in the body. And we're to use these gifts to serve one another. Peter says in First Peter 4, 10 through 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We met that earlier. Whoever speaks is one who speaks of oracles, or speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves of the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have given, been given a gift by his grace to serve in his kingdom. And God has given us this task to build up and edify the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 12, Paul says it like this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, I don't know about you. I, say, I know I say that often, but I don't know about you. But I've noticed for me, when I come alongside and I'm serving with other people, I often find myself encouraged. 
when I come alongside and I help on Wednesday nights in, in D zone and uh, I get to you know help with the kids and I see others helping with the kids and you know we have conversation as adult leaders and we talk about things and we see how others are are serving and are passionate it, it encourages me and it builds me up and it lifts me up to see other people serving I don't know if you have that same thing, but I, I find encouragement and find myself stirred up when I'm serving along others. And I find it no coincidence in Hebrews, it talks about in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, I find encouragement and I find myself able to spur one another on to serve as they're serving and they're encouraging me and they spur me on to serve and to are an, are an encouragement to me. And God has given us by his grace gifts to use. And you know, I've heard it said before that God just hasn't given me a gift. I've heard people say that God just hasn't given me a gift. I don't feel like God has gifted me with anything to work in his kingdom. I feel like I just don't have this person can do this or this person has this gift and I just don't feel like I have a gift. And I'm here to tell you this morning that's not true. Every single one of us here has some kind of gift that God has given us to use to do good works. I mean, it tells us in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has given us things to do. The question is, are we really trying to seek out God's will? Are we trying to seek out and ask God, God, what is it that you have gifted me with so that I can serve others? You know, it's funny, long before I ever felt the calling to preach or teach, I didn't know what it was that I was supposed to do. I had become a believer, and all I knew was that I was supposed to serve. I was supposed to serve, and I wanted to do that in any way I could, and so I just jumped into it. Everything that I could do, I just started jumping into any way that I can serve, and I found out that through doing that, I wasn't gifted to do everything. There were certain things that I would jump into, and I learned pretty quickly, that, okay, this just isn't the right fit for me. It may be for somebody else, but this isn't what I've been gifted with. But the more that I jumped in and the more that I was doing things and the more that I was praying about it, the more I started to see what God had gifted me with. And sometimes I still struggle with that. God, are you really sure this is what you have given me to do? You know, God has gifted us. God has gifted us. You know, if you don't know what God has gifted you, jump in and serve, and maybe that way you'll find out. Or pray. Spend time praying, God, what is it that you have, what passions, what gifts have you given me so that I can serve in your kingdom? I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to put this down, and if you've done this, I, I get it. You know, I hear people say all the time, you know, there's spiritual gift assessments that you can take. And I, I understand that there's some merits behind that. It can help you. But I think sometimes we hang our hat on those things instead of praying and seeking out what God wants us to do. Or we use those things, we manipulate those things sometimes to say, oh, yep, see, this is exactly what I thought. This is my gift. And then you find out it's really not, though. 
Are you seeking God, trying to figure out what that is? Or do you know what that is, and you're just saying, I don't want to serve? I think sometimes there's a lot of excuses we make for why we're not. And we become content with coming to church on Sunday morning and that being the extent of our faith. And we don't serve, we don't go and try to do things for the kingdom. I was reading this quote the other day from Oswald Chambers and it really stood out to me. He said, have you ever realized that you can give things to God that are of value to him? Or are you just sitting around daydreaming about the greatness of his redemption while neglecting all the things you could be doing for him? I'm not referring to works which could be regarded as divine and miraculous, but ordinary, simple human things, things which would be evidence to God that you are totally surrendered to him. You see, it doesn't have to be big things that you do. It could be something so simple as calling one of your brothers and sisters and saying, hey, I'm out grocery shopping, what do you need? It could be something so small as saying, are you home? I'm going to go and pray for you. It could be so, something so simple as to, hey, I know that you've been sick. How, can I help you mow your yard? Something small, something simple. And so I would ask you this morning, are you seeking God's leading to try to figure out your gift? And if, while you're waiting, are you serving? Are you serving the body in any way that you can? I think another reason why we're called to serve is we serve because we follow the example set by Christ. We follow the example set for us by Christ. You know, we talked earlier about this idea that, you know, Scripture tells us to serve, and the greatest example of this is Jesus. There's no greater example in all of Scripture of what it means to be a servant. Jesus has set the bar high. He has set the example of what a servant looks like. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which, you're, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though, who, or though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then in John chapter 15, 12 through 13, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Man, he has set the example, the bar for what it means to be a servant, to what it looks like. He was a servant all the way to the extent that he was willing to lay down his life for others. He set the example of what it means. And then, I think about that, and I think about the example he has set for us to go so far as to lay his life down, and yet I look at the example that we set for others sometime and how we do, or how we serve others, and sometimes we have this mindset that I'm just not going to serve these people. 
right? There's sometimes we get this mindset that I'm not going to serve that person because of blank. I'm not going to serve that person because I don't agree with what they do. I'm not going to serve that person because they got themselves into their own mess. I'm not going to serve that person because they wronged me in the past. I'm not going to serve that person because blank. You see, he set an example, and then he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 44, you have, heard, or you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, we're called to serve those around us regardless of blank. He's laid the example down for us so much that he was willing to give up his life and we are called to follow that same example in how we serve others, how we put others before ourselves, make others more important than ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I know I say that, that's my go-to, right? Like you can probably, if you had a bingo card of Bobby sayings, I would probably be one of the ones in the... I think something that's important to remember is that the more we serve him, the more it can help us grow in relationship with him. The more that I want to be like him in the way that he served others, the more that I grow in my relationship with him. And that's what I want. I want to be like Jesus in everything that I say and everything that I do. I want to be like Jesus. And the more that I strive to be like Jesus, the more that I tend to grow closer to him. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The more we are connected to him, the more we are growing fruit, bearing fruit, the more it seems we increase in the knowledge of God. He has set a pretty good example for us of what it means to be a servant. And then I think another reason why we serve is because serving brings glory to God. Serving ultimately brings glory to God when we are connected to him and we are serving him and by association we are serving others. It brings glory to him. And I love what Jerry Bridges says. He says, we all know people, even unbelievers, who seem to be natural servants. They're always serving others one way or another. But God does not get the glory. They do. It is their reputation that is enhanced. But when we, natural servants of God, or natural servants or not, serve in dependence upon the grace of God with the strength he supplies, God is glorified. When our focus is on him, when our focus is on him at the center of our life, when he is the reason we're doing the things that we're doing, he receives the glory. It's not about us, it's about him. You see, we are told that in whatever we do, we are to do it for the glory of God, right? In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so if we're told to do everything we do to the glory of God, it would stand to reason that if we are serving him, it is to do for his glory, right? And that's what we're called to do. We're called to bring him glory and we do that in the way we serve and here's the thing that i think is really cool in john chapter 17 verse 4 it tells us that if we are serving others if we are serving people around us if we are giving him glory if we are doing everything for his glory other people see those things and in turn they give glory they give glory john 17 4 i glory or skip the verse hold on 
John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus set the example of what it means to glorify God. There we go. Now let's get back on track. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The way we serve him brings him glory, and it can bring other people into a moment of bringing him glory as well. So those are some of the reasons why I think we need to serve. Now I want us to talk about remembering why we serve. I got to point out the danger here because I think sometimes we can get so focused on serving that we do so for the wrong reasons. You know, I mentioned one of the things that I did at Ozark, one of the classes that I had to take was Christian service. And I always thought there could be a danger to that having that be a grade, having something we had to write down every, because it it can become a work. It becomes something that we just have to do to fill out on a card rather than remembering why we do it in the first place. And I have no doubt that there were times when students would look at it like that. All I got to do is hurry up and do this and mark it down, and that way it counts as part of my grade. And we forget the reason why we were actually told to do these things in the first place. One of my favorite passages of Scripture come in Revelation chapter 2. We're seeing this letter written to the church at Ephesus, and the reason why it's one of my favorite passages is because I think sometimes we get caught up in it. It says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 7, talking to the church at Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lamp's hand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You see, sometimes it's easy, right, to get so caught up in doing right, to doing these works for God and trying to, you know, share the truth and trying to proclaim the truth and do all of these things. And sometimes we get caught up in serving that we forget why we're serving in the first place. You know, we are doing good things, and over time, we forget the reason why we've been doing it. Sometimes we get into this habit, I've been serving in this area for so many years, and it becomes just about serving and no longer about the reason why we did it in the first place. We take our eyes, our focus, off of the one whom we should be focusing on while we're doing this. And a verse that kind of reminds me of this is Colossians three twenty three through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Reminds me that our focus is on him. And if our focus is not on him, if our focus is on anything else, the things that we may be doing may be good, but we've lost the reason for doing them. And maybe that's the position you find yourself in. Maybe you've been trying to do good things for so long that you have forgotten the reason why you started doing them in the first place. It happens sometimes. We get caught up in trying to do what is right. We forget why we're doing it in the first place. We serve him because we love him. 
We serve him because we want to bring him glory. We serve him because he is due that, because of who he is and because of what he has done for us. And that should motivate us to serve him. It should. Because of who he is, he is worthy of our service to him. He is worthy of doing things that bring him glory. It's not about me. It's not about what I stand to gain as far as what the world thinks about me. I've struggled with that for the longest time. But it's not. It's about serving him. It's about the fact that I love him and I want to bring him glory. I want to serve him to say thank you for what it is that you have done for me. And so we are called to serve. Do we have that desire? Or is that desire missing in us to serve If it is, I would pray that you would seek and ask him, why is that desire missing in me? What is it that's keeping you from wanting to serve him? What is keeping you from wanting to go in and do good works for him? What's holding you back? See, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, we've been going through over the last several weeks this idea of being grateful and thankful to God. And I want to tie it all the way back to what Cody said in week one. You know, Cody talked about in week one the fact that what we truly and really deserve is God's wrath. That's what we truly and really deserve. We deserve God's wrath poured out on us because of all of our brokenness, because of all of our sin, because of all of our flaws. That is what we ultimately deserve. And yet, God flips the script and of all the things that we deserve he does the opposite and he gives us mercy and he gives us compassion and he pours it down on us first peter chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and he has given us mercy where we deserved none he has given us compassion where we have deserved none and we have begotten, or we have become ungrateful. We've become thankless. We've forgotten the reasons why we have to praise him, to bring him glory, to say thank you, God, for all of the things that it is you have done for me. He has blessed us with so many things, all these spiritual gifts, all of these things that he's blessed us with, all these spiritual treasures that he's blessed us with. And if he did none of those things, he gave us mercy. If that was the only thing he did, we'd have all the reason in the world to praise and thank him and bring him glory, to be grateful. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is this, what's holding you back? What is it that is holding you back from following him completely? What is holding you back from giving your life to him and just serving him and and being obedient to him? What is it that's holding you back? And maybe you've figured it out. Maybe you've been praying about it and you've decided, I don't want to wait anymore. I actually, I want to follow him. I want to be obedient to him. I want to do what he asked me to do and I want to serve him. I want to give him glory and honor and praise. I want to live my life for him. If that's you, man, how, that's great news. And I would love to talk to you about it. I know there's other elders here who would love to talk with you about it. You can come up here this morning and I'd love to talk with you about it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking about the fact that I have just lost my gratitude. 
I've lost my thankfulness. Cody mentioned it while he was praying. The world around us, it's, it makes us weary. It, it makes us think to ourselves that we just have no reason to be thankful. We have no reasons for gratitude. We look at all of our situations in life and the heartaches and heartbreaks that we've experienced over the past however long, and we're thinking to ourselves, I have no reason to be grateful. I have no reason to be thankful. And God has given us reason after reason after reason to praise him regardless of our situations, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our troubles, regardless of any of that. He has given us reason to praise him, to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, to worship him, to bring him praise and glory with song and a joyful noise because of who he is to serve him with everything that is within us. He has given us every single reason. And so if that is you this morning and you have lost your gratitude and you have lost your thankfulness, well, the good thing is, is you can go before him this morning and you can bring all of those things to him. Those things that you've been hung up on, those things that have had you caught up, you can bring those things to him and you can give him gratitude thankfulness this morning and so if that's you if you're here this morning and you need to talk I'm here to listen I'm here to talk with you if you need to spend time in prayer you can do that where you're sitting or you can come up here I'd love to pray with you let us not forget that we have all the reasons in the world to be grateful and thankful and we have every reason to show those show God our thankfulness our gratitude and the things that we do for him I'm going to pray and then we'll stand and sing. Father God, you are so good. God, we are so grateful and thankful for what it is you have done for us, Father. God, we deserved wrath. We deserved condemnation. We deserve all of those things. God, we know your word. We we know what you call us to, and yet we break those things over and over and over again, and yet... You flip the script on us, Father, and those things that we deserve, God, you give us the opposite. God, you give us mercy, you give us compassion, you give us grace that we do not deserve. And Father, and I know there are some in this room this morning, God, who are hurting. I know that there are some in this room, Father, this morning that are struggling. God, as they're going through things at, at home, at work, at school, God, their thankfulness, their, their gratitude is, is wavering. Father, I pray that, God, you would just remind them that, God, no matter the situation, no matter the, the trials they're facing, no matter the difficulties they're going through, Father, we have every reason to be grateful for you. God, if all you ever did was send your son, we would have more than enough. So, Father, I just pray this morning. God, we would lay those things at your feet and we would give you gratitude and we would give you thankfulness for what it is you've done for us. It's in your sons' name that I pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make, please do so as we stand.